Welcome to Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. I'm your host, Russ Roberts of Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Our website is econtalk.org, where you can subscribe, comment on this podcast, and find links and other information related to today's conversation. You'll also find our archives, where you can listen to every episode we've ever done, going back to 2006. Our email address is mail at econtalk.org. We'd love to hear from you. Today is July 18th, 2018, and my guest is Alberto Alessina, the Nathaniel Ropes Professor of Political Economy in the Department of Economics at Harvard University. He previously appeared on EconTalk in 2016 to discuss austerity and stimulus. Alberto, welcome back to EconTalk. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Our topic for today is a recent paper that you wrote with uh, Armando Miano and Stephanie Stancheva, and the title of the paper is Immigration and Redistribution. And the paper looks at attitudes that and knowledge that people have of immigrants and then their attitudes toward redistribution generally. Uh, what, what was your goal in, in, in writing this paper? Well, this paper is part of um, a broad uh, research project that I have been following the last several years about uh, given the growth in inequality in some places, is what is what are the preference for people about redistribution? What lead do, what leads them to be in favor or against redistribution? And one main theme in my research, but also in that of others, is that um, generosity, both private generosity, say donation, or public generosity, see at the welfare via the welfare state travels much better amongst people who are similar of the same race, the same religion, uh, the same culture, but it doesn't travel as well uh, across ethnic groups, race, and so on. So we thought that with the burst of immigration that that there has been in the U.S. and Europe, particularly in Europe in terms of burst, but uh, also the big discussion about uh, immigration, we thought that uh, putting together the idea of redistribution and diversity with immigration sounded interesting. Yeah, well, it's an extremely interesting paper, and I I, uh, I learned a great deal that I was um, mostly mostly depressed to learn about, but we'll, we'll see. Maybe, there may be some cheerier things later on in the in our conversation. But the the basic idea you. Talk about uh, the data set. You're looking across uh, how many countries is it? It's six countries, uh, the U.S., the U.K., uh, Sweden, Italy, France, and Germany. Uh, we pick these six countries because, uh, well, first of all, they are important countries. Of course, the U.S. is the U.S., and the European countries are countries that have been particularly at the center of uh, – uh, the debate about uh, uh, immigration. Um, Sweden, for example, has had uh, a very large flow of immigrants, and there's a very large share of immigrants in their population. So we thought that was a, a good group of countries, and go, and go beyond six was getting a bit expensive for because these surveys are expensive to make. And you surveyed uh, a, a fairly large number of people in each country, Thousands, right? About four thousand. Yeah, it's uh, it's, uh, it's, um, it's uh, twenty. It's about twenty-three thousand total. Uh, the number of country is about you know roughly um, equal across country. They're actually slightly less in Sweden um, um, for two reasons. One, Sweden was actually much more expensive for some reason, and Swedish people replied in a way which was so consistent with which was with so very little variance within them that we felt like we somehow we could stop the survey after um, five, you know, or a of five or ten five yeah. or ten people yeah <laughs> <laughs> no it's, well it's a smaller country too than some of the others it's a smaller uh, country yeah too. uh so you surveyed six in six countries and one the first thing you look at is um Attitudes towards immigration, and these are all surveys of native-born people in each you country. Know, of course, yeah, all native-born. We the first question is: Are you a native-born? If you're not, by you cannot take the survey. And you, so you're looking at native-born, and we start with 
attitudes towards immigrants and and not excuse me not attitude just simple knowledge about the characteristics of immigrants and to be this is a huge important point uh, although not as huge as I thought it was going in you're only in very carefully and very explicitly talking about legal legal immigrants yes we wanted to focus on legal immigrants because not because illegal immigrants are not important, but because we wanted to focus on taking away from our consideration uh, issues having to do with uh, illegal immigrants that are committing a crime by being in the country. And therefore, uh, we wanted to consider people who are legal, but they're not your countrymen. And a definition of an immigrant, a legal immigrant, is someone who's there legally who who is not born in the country of the respondent. So this is... Which is, uh, which is by the way, the official definition of immigrant of the OECD. Right. Of the it, OECD. Well, that's how I would have defined it, so that's all good. I, the, the underlying question, of course, and we, we will maybe touch on this in the conversation, is people may be told very... And you tell them more than once that you're talking about legal immigrants, but their attitudes and assessments may... Uh, be colored by their lumping illegal and legals together, obviously. That's one challenge. However, what I was surprised to discover was how small the estimates are of illegal immigration relative – not illegal immigration. The, the proportion of the, of the native popul- – of the country's population that is legal versus illegal. So talk about those numbers because they're, they're quite small in Europe and even in the United States – they're, they're smaller than I would have thought. Well, in the United States, I wouldn't say they are, that they are so small. I mean, the. Smaller than I might have thought, that's all. <laughs> uh, the le- well, I don't know what you thought, but yeah. the, the, I, uh, the, the, the number of legal immigrants is about 10%, uh, and the number of illegal immigrants is about 3, 3.5%. I wouldn't say that small. I mean, I, I actually, I was actually surprised by how big it was, but maybe we have different yeah. tires. For the other countries, uh, I don't remember the actual number, and I can't find them uh, quickly, but they're not – they're very small, so it's really not something that – Well, my memory from the paper is that in Europe, it's under 1% in yeah, the exactly five countries. Yeah, under 1%. But although um, there is a more subtle problem uh, that um, they are, they're, they're very – the number is very small, but you know, sometimes the illegal immigrant may be those that um, – that uh, people see in the most uh, upsetting way, say they are sleeping in the in the park in the middle of the city, and a mother going there with their children. They see uh, uh, an immigrant who is most likely illegal that is sleeping in the garden where she usually walks with her children, and just start thinking that you know there are ten thousand. Or I mean, ten ten percent of people are illegal immigrants. Uh, that is not true. But again, maybe the illegal immigrants are especially um, vi- vis- visible or in train station in Europe is the typical example. And these people may be particularly visible and particularly uh, affect affecting people's perceptions. But uh, there is not much that we can do other than emphasizing, you know, very often in the question that we are talking about legal. Yeah, I think the uh, the fancy political science word or psychology word is salience. So the salience, illegal yeah. population could be more salient, more at the front of people's minds, more people might be more aware of them. The other advantage, of course, of legal uh, is that you can measure that we know things about them, at least we think we do in terms of government data and so we have some way of at least assessing the accuracy of, of people's actually, perception. Actually, it's not. I mean, to be honest, actually, it's actually surprising. That was surprising for me. Often when you have, uh, well, of course, you have data on numbers and so on. But when you have data, say, about uh, their income and education and what they do and whatever, those are, are um, they're not administrative data, they are they are survey data taken on immigrant and sometimes those surveys they don't quite distinguish between legal and illegal. So it is actually harder than you think to get the data that we use in the paper distinguishing carefully between legal and illegal because some sources are not very clear on what they do. So uh, I think one of the sort of minor or 
for some research, not so minor part of the paper, is that we probably had the best data, at least for this country, that distinguish information about legal versus illegal. Well, I guess the other question is, is that even, am I looking very crudely at various data on on income and and uh, wages, I've often found it somewhat uh, uneven. The, the, the sources that are more reliable don't necessarily make a distinction between legal and illegal. And as you point out, as, you know, some, some of the surveys are just – their overall quality might not be as high as yeah. some of the data we might use on, say, the unemployment rate or, or that are at the national level. Of um, course. So I, I wish it came up in passing. I, I, I ask listeners to think about what you think the proportion of, say, the U.S. population is, about three-quarters of our listeners – uh, to Econ Talk or in the United States, at least according to our crude survey at the end of the year, uh, the rest of them are scattered in 64 or so, 65, 66 different countries. And it's interesting to think about what you as the listener would think is the population that is uh, foreign-born in your country. In the United States, Alberto, as you just said, it's it's about 10%. I wonder if how well our listeners would have done on that. Uh, but that's uh, – What's the range in, in, in the six countries uh, for the foreign, for foreign born? By the way, before I answer your question, I must say when I was writing this paper, oftentimes when I was out for dinner, often with, uh, you know, colleagues, which are, you know, or, or friends, uh, but are all like, you know, sort of highly educated. educated. Yeah. And I asked them, <laughs> I asked them, I made, the, I asked them your question and every single, every single one overestimated the number of immigrants, uh, uh, not as much as the average in our sample, but the, the range of answer I was getting was about 15% uh, rather than 10. Anyway, so there is, uh, but going back to your question, there is, of course, a, a variance in answers, uh, which we report in some um, online appendix of the paper, but uh, the the median, but, but the, the distribution of, of the answer is not enormous, and the median is uh, around, the median and the average is actually around 30, uh, as we report in the paper. So, you know, there are people who have, you know, crazy answers. By the way, we do all our work excluding answer which are clearly crazy, like, you know, 100% or, or, or zero. And we also exclude in our uh, analysis people that have taken too little time in filling out the survey because we can follow how much time they do. So people that take an unreasonable small amount of time, we exclude their, their, uh, their answer, even though at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference. But uh, so... A large fraction of the respondent have an answer, say, you know, between 25 and 35, and, and the average answer is about 30. That, that's for the United States or across all the six other countries? States. For the United States. For the other country, for the other countries, uh, um, the, the, for the other country, France, Germany, it, and uh, Italy and the UK, the mistake is along the same order of magnitude. The, the, the number of immigrants in the other country it's not that far from that of the U.S., a little higher, a little lower, and, and people respond uh, in the same order of magnitude uh, like the U.S. The only country where it, um, it um, makes uh, – the only country that is actually more accurate are the Swedes who have um, more immigrants, but they actually more – accurate because there the number of immigrants in Sweden is, is close to 18 percent and their uh, average answer is around 27 and that's not close but it's not as way well, off it's not as, close, but, it's, it's but it's about you know uh, about half of the mistake of the other countries so that's kind to of be honest to be honest when we started the, when we started this serve with this project and we uh, asked that question we were pretty sure that there would have been overestimate because of the salience of the immigration, because everybody today is reading about immigration and all of that. But we were quite shocked by the size of the misperceptions, I must say. Yeah, of course, you didn't. You were looking at immigration. Uh, I've often, I've done many surveys uh, of 
one of my favorite statistics, the proportion of the American workforce that earns the minimum wage or less. Uh, I've done it with lawyers. I've done it with law professors. I've done it with first-rate journalists. And um, the, the, the median answer in those groups has always been about 20%. The actual answer at the time when I was doing those surveys is about 2 uh, so it's off by an order of magnitude, an extraordinary mm-hmm. misreading. Uh, so it could be that on numerous <laughs> – has nothing to do with salience. It's, it's just that people are very uninformed uh, about a wide range of, of economic data, uh, about the economy as a whole. And But what I thought was one of the more important things that you find, of course, is that that misestimate, that overestimate across countries is not – uh, is not that different by various um, other characteristics of the respondents, by the various characteristics of the respondents, correct? That is quite correct, and that was actually more surprising than we thought. Uh, for uh, the only the only character which is self interested, the only characteristics that that uh, my, that distinguishes people in terms of what they expect about the number of immigrants. Not so much the characteristic of immigrant, we'll get to it perhaps later, but on the size of the number of immigrants, not that much makes a difference in terms of the characteristic of the respondent, neither, neither in the U.S. nor in other country. The, the only thing that seemed to matter, which I find it actually interesting, is whether the respondent work in a sector which, which, is, which has an over-representation of immigrant. And we define that uh, looking at the statistic of how many immigrants work in different sectors. And we come up with a list of sectors that have that are, uh, higher law in terms of uh, immigrants working in that section, sector. sector. And uh, respond, native respondents who work in sector with more immigrants, they tend to uh, overestimate more than their fellow natives about the number of immigrants. Which but is, other than that, no other, no other characteristic. Matter. And the other characteristics you have are income, you have… Income, uh, gender, education, education income. Um, and uh, in case of the U.S., where, where we had more data and more information, uh, where, where the respondent live. Um, but, um, but this characteristic, uh, income, gender, uh, education… Uh, whether they know an immigrant or not, incidentally, uh, we ask, um, matter for other answers, but not for the number of immigrants. Yeah, well, which again, it's somewhat, it's not that surprising and people are making some crude estimates. It's not a d- number that's at people's fingertips, just interesting that they systematically overestimate it rather than just be wildly inaccurate, which could be the other, you know, of course, the other possibility. Uh, did you have party or ideological identification? Yes, yes, yes. I was about to mention that. Party ideology, we asked, on this point, we asked two types of questions. In, in this paper, we used only one answer, but we plan to write, continue to work and write, uh, use the other part of the question. One question was simply whether you classify yourself as uh, right-wing or left-wing, and we use the appropriate word for the appropriate country. So in the, in the U.S., uh, liberal conservative. Uh, in other countries, we use the appropriate word that is in the language, uh, you know, which is sure. common for that country. But then we also asked them which, which, which parties you vote for in the latest election. And, and we didn't use those answers yet. We may do it in another paper because some really striking result about uh, Trump voters and voters for populist parties in Europe. But we may get to that later. As far as the right, le- well, not later in this interview, but because I haven't read yeah. the paper yet, but later in, in my career. Our next but interview. The, yeah. uh, the, the, the left wing makes a big, di- the left-right makes a lot of difference in just about everything except on the misperception of the number of immigrants. Both right-wing and left-wing responder misperceive about the same level the number of immigrants that they misperceive other things. The right-wing think that the immigrants are poorer, more reliant on welfare, uh, less educated, uh, lazier than uh, the left-winger. And 
uh, they have a bigger misperception that in fact everybody has, but for the right winger is bigger, of where the immigrant come from. Namely, there is an, another general misperception is that in all countries, um, natives think that immigrants come from problematic countries or problematic relig- uh, religion. For example, they vastly overestimate the number of Muslim immigrants and they vastly underestimate the number of Christian immigrants. And that's, and that's true in all countries, uh, according to, you're saying, across the, before you correct for left-right, they overestimate the Muslim population, the so, underestimate right, so Christian. Everybody, so everybody, everybody, everybody in every country uh, overestimate the number of, say, Muslim and underestimate the number of Christians, with the exception of France. They, they don't overestimate the number of Muslim, and in fact, there are a lot of Muslim immigrants in France. But in the other country, they all um, overestimate the number of Muslim and underestimate the number of Christian. But the right winger, they have overestimate more than left winger on this it. point. Correct. So that's the next question. Is there anything else to add about? So people systematically across ideology and across other characteristics overestimate the portion of their fellows that fellow country people that are uh, immigrants they let's talk then about other characteristics you, you mentioned a left right but how accurate do people generally do on income uh, sources of countries for immigration uh, are they accurate at all or do they overestimate systematically in terms of in, in they 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 uh, as I said they, they tend to overestimate um, the origin of immigrant. I gave you I gave you the example of um, you know Islam and uh, Christian, but there are also overestimation about you know North Africa or Latin America, and, and of course that changes depending on if, if you are in the U.S. Of course the key issue are are uh, Latin America, and if you are in Europe, it's North Africa. So when you start about, when you talk about uh, regions, it becomes, you know, a bit more complicated. But the general point is that in every country, people tend to overestimate the immigrants that are salient and problematic for that country, as opposed to, say, immigrants from Western Europe or, or uh, more similar countries to the natives. This is, then, a, this is similar, by the way. I just want to mention this because I want to make clear what we're talking about, that you know, when NAFTA was passed in the United States, NAFTA, of course, stands for the North American Free Trade Agreement. All of the controversy was about Mexico. Even the, There were three countries, the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Uh, Canada was just not uh, on the table as a worry for either because it isn't a worry, whatever that means, or because people are more likely to be worried about people who are, quote, more different than they are, whatever that – however you would, might define that. Uh, and and I, to be honest, I'm going to reveal some of my biases or priors right now. I, I do think people demonize or uh, scare people uh, about – you know, people who are different from them, who don't have the same skin color, don't have the same religion. And, you know, I think the news media, going back to my recent monologue uh, on the topic, is prone to exaggerate and intensify the feelings that people have about the other, the people who are not like us in whatever dimensions uh, people are particularly worried about. And people, I think, like to read and watch and consume information that often increases their paranoia or, or xenophobia or anxiety, and are, for whatever reason, don't seem so interested in being comforted by information that, that's more accurate sometimes about the situation. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, you said it per- wonderfully. I wish I could have said it as well uh, in, in, in when I write, but that, that's exactly my, that's exactly, I completely agree. And of course, the, 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 the paper that we are talking about does not have any, concrete evidence of what you just said, but I would say it is a perfectly, in my view, the right the right explanation for this misperception and so on. So let's talk about a few other variables and then we're going to 
we'll get into some of the redistribution issues. But um, you mentioned, for example, that uh, conservatives in America are more likely to see immigrants as lazy and liberals are more likely to see them as hardworking. How do you how do you get at that difference? Is it a scale variable? Do you have when you ask people? No, it's so it's um, well. This is actually the issue of. Let me open a slight parenthesis because this is important. The issue of laziness or not laziness is something that, in my more broadly, in my earlier research, some of it with Stephanie as well, is that attitude toward redistribution, both comparing the U.S. and Europe, but comparing people within each country has to do with whether people that the poor are worthy of help or not. So if you think that the poor are poor because they are lazy, everything is the same, you are less favorable to redistribution. If you think that the poor are unfortunate, then you are more favorable to redistribution. It turns out there is a, a, a ton of papers that confirm that this is a very, very important determinant for people preference and willing to redistribute. So uh, in general, so, so that's a fact that we knew even starting this paper. So the, the way this, this, uh, this attitude are pursued is in general to ask a question which is a variant of a question that is in the World Value Survey, which is a worldwide respected survey about attitude done in about 80 countries. Um, and the question is, uh, I, don't, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's pretty close to saying, do you think that uh, um, the poor are poor because of uh, lack of effort in their work or because they are unfortunate? And just to give you a, you know, a number in the US, like something like 70% of respondents say that the poor are poor because of lack of effort. And in Europe, that number is 30%. So, uh, this was an important, it is an important determinant of preference for a distribution. So, in, in evaluating in this paper to discuss the preference for a distribution versus immigration, one issue is to say, okay, do, do natives uh, believe that immigrants are lazy? So, we ask the question, do you think that um, immigrants are poor because they are lazy and um, and uh, a, a vast majority of respondents responded that the immigrants are poor because they are uh, the immigrants are poor because they are lazy but then we did something which is we thought that was actually uh, interesting that namely then we asked another question along the same line they said do you think immigrants are poorer than hmm. natives <laughs> because they are lazier than natives. <laughs> and to some surprise, in all countries, uh, uh, there is a good portion of that people did not think that the immigrants, they were that much lazier than, uh, than uh, native a poor. little bit, yeah. a little bit, but not that much lazier. Than, uh, than natives, so so natives think that the immigrants are lazy, but uh, but you know um, not much more than the lazy than the, than the lazy poor. So in other words, in the US, in, in Sweden, they they think that people are the poor people are not lazy, neither the natives nor the immigrant, even though the immigrant a bit more than the natives. And in the US, lots of people think that the poor are lazy, and the immigrant. A little more than the natives, but not much more. So I'm going to make a little confession here, and that we're I'm, this is a digression. Um, I, I have, when I was younger, I, I felt that you know the American economy was so great that anybody could find a job here, which still might be true in some dimension. Uh, but it's also the case as I've gotten older, I've gotten much more sympathetic to the um, the straits and challenges of facing people who grow up in situations very different from my own and so i'm much more open-minded and agnostic about the question of why certain people struggle to make a living say there's all kinds of stuff going on there's family background there's genetics there's uh, bad luck there's uh, the current state of you know the economy could be in recession there's our, our horrible education system that particularly punishes 
it's not horrible for everybody. It's particularly bad, though, for people in America who are growing up in very poor neighborhoods. Hard to disentangle that from other from family issues and culture, but it's still, I think, a problem. So I'm much more agnostic about the question. Having said that, about whose, quote, fault it is or why people are poor, and I'm much more sympathetic to the to the challenges of uh, of life. And But having said that, it's kind of interesting to think about that distinction you mentioned between the United States and Europe, that 70% of Americans blame the poor for their own poverty, and in Europe it's basically reversed. Would you say 20 or say 20 percent yeah it's basically yeah it's basically it's close to being reversed these are slightly you know four or five years old data but i don't think they've changed that much no. so what 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 strikes me about that this is the di- it's a digression from our conversation but it just i think it's interesting uh of course it's it's i suspect it's the case that it's easier for a poor person in america to find work than it is in europe i think the american economy still is more dynamic than the european economy especially for younger uh, people struggling to get into the labor force and get the, and make the investments, and of course the, the welfare state in Europe is more generous in in Europe than it is in the United States overall, uh, or at least across the board. And you know, for certain groups, maybe you know, women with children is a little different, but in general, across the board, for say working age men, I think Europe is more generous, and so it's. I mean, who can you can you blame someone for taking a say a welfare payment that's more generous? So, it, it's reasonable that Europeans and Americans would differ there. It doesn't necessarily get at the true underlying perception they have of their situation versus say poor people. Now, I do agree. I, I mean, I do think it's it's hard for successful people to empathize with people who who are struggling. I think it's easy for people who are successful to credit their own merit rather than good luck. And yeah, I do think there's some merit, and I do think there's some bad luck for people who are poor. But I do think it's not that statement about Europe versus the United States. There's a lot going on there. That's that's what I'm trying to say, I guess. Yes, I mean, actually, I have a comment, an important, I think, a comment on an important digression, and then a related point which brings us back to the paper. The first point is that there are data on social mobility in the U.S. and Europe, and I actually in a previous paper with Stephanie Stancheva and Eduardo Teso, which is published on the AER of this year, we actually do a work which is somewhat related methodologically to the paper we are talking about, asking people about what they think about social mobility in the US and in the same countries in Europe. And what it turns out is something that I had hypothesized without much data in a, in a book with Ed Glazer about 10 years ago, is that Americans think, as you said, that there is there are much more options for upward mobility in the U.S. than in Europe, uh, and Europeans think that there is much less uh, mobility than in the U.S. Um, and in rea- and uh, but in reality, the data on social mobility for the U.S. and Europe show that on average. There is not that much difference. Europe, in, U, in the U.S., of course, there is a, a huge variant. There are parts of the country with yeah. mo- social mobility very high, parts that are very low. But just looking at the average, which is a sort of a rough number, is not that different from, say, Germany, France, and Italy. But Americans think that it's much bigger than what it is, and European mm-hmm. thinks that it is worse than it is, and therefore Americans are more opt- optimistic about poor can make it and uh, probably more optimistic than they should be and Europeans are very pessimistic probably more pessimistic than they should be about whether a poor can make it or not especially given the generous welfare state that you just that you just mentioned but but related can, can to I pro- can I re- yeah. re- react to that and then you you're going to hold that thought, your second thought which is going to bring us back to the paper but I, my, my thought when you when you make that point and I've read I've seen a lot of those papers that show that surprisingly American mobility is not that not that great and there's not that much movement among groups. And a lot of that's a little bit hard to interpret because first of all, sometimes it's relative mobility, the ability to move you know, up a number of quintiles, say, as opposed to absolute mobility, whether you're actually can can do better, uh, which are two different very different things. And the second thing is it doesn't there's often I think I suspect and this I just could be wrong. I don't know, but I suspect there's a selectivity, a selection bias problem there because 
the, the people who are not mobile aren't in the sample. You're typically looking at people who are, have income in year one and you're comparing to their income in year 10 and seeing where they are relative to other people in the country. But a lot of people maybe are not working. The reason I, I, I make the point about relative mobility in the two or, or relative um, opportunities in the two countries is that the data on unemployment, especially youth unemployment in Europe, seems so much higher. Maybe it's not Measured the same way, maybe it's temporary, maybe it doesn't last. But the numbers that I that I typically read, and maybe they're biased sources, but the number I typically, numbers I typically read about, say, youth unemployment in France or youth unemployment in the UK, are real are shockingly high compared to the United States. And so I always assume that has a, a you know a, a that's a very bad forecast, a very depressing forecast for future opportunity. Do you think there's that's a relevant issue, the selection bias across countries? It's a, um, that, of course, not my research, but I certainly agree with you that, that this number about unemployment, in youth unemployment in Europe, uh, in some countries, are staggering. And, of course, when we talk about social mobility, we are talking about the past, the past generation. It is perfectly possible that in future generations, things will look uh, will look uh, quite different for Europe. They're but certainly I'm, looking very different for uh, for uh, Italy. But I'm making the point that even in the current, say, recent short-term measures of mobility, uh, people who aren't in the labor force, either at the beginning of the sample, the end, are not called stagnant. They're just not in the in the data. That's what I'm wondering because they're not observed but, to have an income. They're not observed to have any income. They're not – they're not treated as a zero. They're just rejected from the right. sample. Um, that is a good point. I suspect people that have worked on this, like well, Rad Shetty and company, have worked for the U.S. You think they'd worry I about pretty, that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. They must, <laughs> I don't know how, but they must have worried about that. But I'm not. I'm not hundred percent sure. But certainly, if you compare the U.S. and Europe with very different uh, unemployment data, unemployment subsidies, and treatment of unemployed and uh, I'm not. Um, I'm not 100% sure uh, what they do. Okay, so I interrupted you. Do you remember where you're going to go to bring us back to the paper? No, we're going to uh, the paper. It's, uh, it's uh, related to the transfer and social uh, welfare and and uh, transfer to the poor and the lazy or so on. The interest. There is one. There is one experiment, or not experiment. One question that we asked, which I which I we thought was fascinating, was first we asked whether the the native believe that immigrants receive more uh, per capita, more transfer than natives. And the answer would generally yes, they believe that they receive more transfers than natives. Now, you can say, well, you know, that's fine. If they think that they are poorer, uh, it's perfectly normal that they receive more transfers. But then we asked another question, which is, uh, support that there are in your country there are two immigrants, two uh, sorry, two individuals. Um, uh, uh, the, the first one is named for the U.S. say John, typical American name, and for um, the other person is named, and we choose a clearly uh, immigrant, Nathan Mohammed or Carlos, or we actually tried with different names, and the result that makes the difference. And and they have the same income, the same war. They made it very clear that they're identical, except that one is native and the other one is presumably immigrant. And a very large number of uh, respondents, both in the U.S. and other and in other countries, um, I, I remember a number like 50% of the respondents in a few countries, particularly France and Italy, were the worst. Were the worst. Um, Offender, they answer that the immigrant gets much more than than the native simply because it's called Carlos and not John or Mohammed and not uh, um, Alberto. And 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 we and we're looking at the answer, there is a like a, something close to twenty percent. Um, I don't think this is reported in the paper, but I remember the number that about twenty percent of French respondent. And the number was a bit lower in the other country, but not that much lower. Believe that the person named with an immigrant name received more than twice as much as the native. So there is so, so it there is like a, a dollar more. <laughs> so it sounds like 
um, it sounds like uh, natives perceive uh, that the system discriminate in favor of sure. immigrants and, uh, you know, with obvious consequences for their views about the welfare state. Now, when you say you gave them two individuals with the same income and the same characteristics except their names, did each respondent get two people to think about? Or did some people get the immigrant versus some people got the, the native name? No, no, no. The same person. The same person, the same respondent, we told him, consider two individuals, the question was, consider two individuals, one is named John and one is named Mohammed. They have the same income, uh, we, we, not to make it too boring, we, we wrote a question that was meant to make, think that they were economically identical, but one, they had the same number of children, whatever, but one was named John and the other Mohammed, how much do they get? And there were various options, the same, which, of course, the right answer. And this, as, by the way, in, in Sweden, uh, they like, you know, uh, no, actually with Germany. In Germany, they were actually right. Like 90% of the German respondents said they get the same, which is, of course, the right answer. But in all the other countries, there was, um, you know, up to 20% of people said that Mohammed get more than, than twice as much. 20% said that Mohammed gets more than twice as much? Yeah. Wow. We didn't report that particular number of the twice as much in the paper, but in the paper we do report that like 50% of French believe, and 50% of Italian, more than 50% of French and 50% of Italians uh, believe that, um, 50% of those believe that the, the Mohammed guy gets more than John. That's fascinating. Kind of extraordinary. Um and but if you look, I mean, I, I, I live in Italy, but as you, I'm in Italy, but as you know, there is this cra you know, crazy, you know, in Europe, where there is this the issue of, of um, uh, emergency in the Mediterranean and all of that. But the kind of thing you read about immigrants uh, really blows your mind away. Uh, it's unbelievable. Of this kind, you mean this kind of result? Yeah, this kind. I mean, the idea that you know, you, you read things like these people come here and they become rich with our welfare, and they don't work, and they we pay their taxes, and we pay them with their taxes, and while well, it turns out that in Italy, actually, because of the aging population, it is well known by uh, by people who believe in number and not in perception that actually legal immigrants are helping us because they are young and they. They have more kids and they pay contribution to our pension system, which is in bad shape. Yeah, well, I always like to point out that illegal immigrants typically are uh, contributing to Social Security uh, and other and pensions, essentially, but uh, are not going to collect it if they're illegal because they don't have a, a legitimate Social Security number of their own. Mm -hmm. They're just using a fake one. Uh, but – the other point I but would even, make, but, 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 but even the legal contribute more than um, than what they get in many ways. I mean, they they help they they, are, they help the social security system in Italy because they they are younger. Because they're average. working. Yeah, um, I would point out again that I would guess if you ask the average American what somebody makes on disability or uh, various welfare programs, they would wildly overestimate the amount. It's just interesting that they even more wild, wildly overestimate it for. Someone with a name, an immigrant right. name, rather than a domestic. Uh, in fact, on this particular on this particular score, the the Americans were not the worst offender. I think the Italian and the French were the worst offender, but even the Americans overestimated wildly. Okay, so I, I want to turn to redistribution now uh, and attitudes to redistribution. So you did some standard things that that were. Uh, looking at the relationship between people's attitudes towards immigrants and their willingness to support uh, redistribution, uh, expansion of or existence of the welfare state, or even private charity. But you also did some very creative things. Uh, you, well, let's start with that. Let's start with what you found about that, and then I want to move to the, the priming issue. Okay. So, um, well, first of all, we started with about asking people about um, redistribution uh, in, a, in a fairly uh, detailed way. We asked them a lot of questions because we had 
we had the same we use the same question we used in a previous paper so we are very specific about a bunch of questions about progressivity of the tax system and uh, whether you want to spend on social security or or um, uh, um, other stuff and also we asked them to make a donation we tell them that they had uh, some ticket for a lottery and they, if they win the lottery they would get um, I forget what it was, but some thousand dollars. I remember. I read, I read the right. paper more recently than you have. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. A thousand, a thousand dollar, and um, but they could donate um, some of those um, uh, to a charity, and we specify for each country the char- uh, a couple of charities they could donate to. Um, we specified two just to make sure that we didn't pick one that uh, it was hated by most. So um, no, the, 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 the answer about redistribution was uh, the answer about the redistribution were fairly standard. People we expected to be in favor of redistribution were and left wing more than right wing and rich people less than poor people. You know, all perfectly normal. And then we asked, and then the second, a second uh, set of questions was about immigration. Uh, what do you think about? We should have uh, restrictive various example of. Do you do we want to have more restrictive laws about immigration? Uh, limit the number. A bunch of many many questions which put classified people at those in favor of welcoming immigrants or people saying let's keep them out. So and again we got very reasonable response. Uh, Left winger were more in favor of. Immigration. Um, interestingly, poor people working in immigration-intensive uh, sector did not want immigrant, but rich people, even those living in immigration-intensive people, wanted them. So, uh, Indian, Indian engineer in uh, in uh, Silicon Valley were more than welcomed by uh, you know rich people in Silicon Valley, to pick an example, but poor people did not want workers presumably competing with their job in high immigration sectors. And then we did a few a few things. The first experiment we did, which was, uh, we thought the results were quite striking. That yes, they are. <laughs> we, it's amazing. We did the following. To half of the respondent, we first uh, showed the, the what we call um, what we call uh, uh, redistribution block. So a bunch of questions about redistribution without ever ever mentioning immigration, and never when they start taking the survey, they have any idea that the survey is about immigration. So the first set of questions they get after their personal characteristic is, what do you think about the distribution? And then we ask them about various questions about immigration. To the, to, the sec, to the other half of randomly chosen people, we do the opposite. We first ask them a bunch of questions about immigration, and then we ask them a bunch of questions about redistribution. The same question, that, the same two blocks, but changing the order. So uh, the only difference between the order is that those that see immigration first they are prompt to think about the issue of immigration, of course. In fact, we asked them, you know, maybe 15 questions about immigration. So clearly they have been thinking about immigration. And the result is that those people who have seen the immigration question first, they're much more averse to the distribution, holding everything else constant, than people uh, who have seen the redistribution question first. So making people think about immigration makes them much less favorable to redistribution. And that is very, very strong, just, it's just there. No matter how you look at the data, it's just there, it holds for every country, it holds for the countries together, and it's just there. What's the magnitude? So, what kind of magnitudes are, are we talking about here? Because that's, you know, you have to, and just make it aside here, you can have a statistically significant result that's not very significant. So how much difference does, um, what kind of impact does it have? How, how important is that difference? Uh, it's imaginable, I understand, that people when prompted might respond differently than if they weren't prompted, but you know, how big is the difference? 
There are, of course, many ways of looking at the size of the difference in different countries according to different uh, answers about different types of redistribution. One summary answer is to say that uh, about uh, a little more than 5% of the people who have seen the immigration question first uh, are um, likely to say that immigration, that um, uh, that inequality is a problem. In other words, 50% of the, 50% more of the people who see immigration first are more likely to think that immigration is a problem. Again, that number varies across uh, countries and it varies depending on which measure of redistribution you look at. You say it's a 5% change, you said. Uh, a 5 uh, a 5% change, which is three percentage point. And, and I'm looking at the paper here. It says uh, that that's about 13 percent of the gap between left and right wing respondents. So it's, it takes you uh, an eighth of the way toward the other ideology. Exactly. So so what do we make of all this? So this is very interesting work. It's extremely uh, timely, uh, for better or worse. It's a huge issue. Um. And, you know, in a recent episode of Econ Talk, I had a long uh, monologue on the issue of why things, to be, things, why things seem to be so different politically in the United States and in Europe today relative to, say, 20 years ago. And one answer is uh, – a standard answer is that the rise of populism, uh, worries about uh, Brexit and the vote on Brexit in the U.K., the election of Donald Trump, that a lot of this is a response to immigration. And my claim, at least in that monologue, and I gave a one-sided view there because I wanted to help people understand how I think about this, whether it's right or not, I don't know. But my claim is that a, lo- a lot of our attitudes toward various political issues are being created in a very different environment for news and information that were prone to find news sources because of the rise of the internet and cable television. We're prone to find news sources that confirm our biases, that get us riled up, that make us angry, that vilify our ideological opponents. And so the question, I, I do think people are much more concerned about immigration, but what your work says, at least the part that confirms my story, is that it's true people are more concerned about it, but part of their concern is not accurate. It's exaggerated, the impulse that people have to be worried about people who are different from them, and that we are prone, if we're not careful, to work ourselves up about something that's not as important as we might think it is or that we might hear it is over and over and over again if we watch Fox News or MSNBC, if we read the New York Times versus uh, uh, the Wall Street Journal, and that and that this is having a serious impact on our political life. Now, your paper is not about this. Your paper is just trying to characterize how people feel about immigrants and how they feel, understand how accurately they understand it and their results of their support for various forms of redistribution. But it seems to me that, it's, that the underlying problem here, whether it's the news environment I'm thinking of that I'm particularly worried about these days or the uh, – the concerns that people have are, are they're not accurate. It's deeply disturbing. I couldn't agree more, uh, but let me just add that um, we, in our conversation, we focused about our result on um, redistribution, but there is also another part of the paper in which we look at how these misperceptions about immigrant lead to different views about immigration, immigration policies, not redistribution. So, and there, uh, the effect of this misperception are not surprisingly very, very large because if, if people have complete, if people feel that, that in their country they are invaded by I- immigrants, clearly they have different views uh, if they do not believe that. So the misperception about the size, type, and nature of immigration affects not only indirectly preference for redistribution, but also very directly a discussion about uh, immigration policies, which, as you said, is very divisive, both in the U.S. 
and uh, in Europe. And I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, this paper, needless to say, this paper has no prescription for whether uh, what policies for immigration to have. You know, it's very far from having any policy prescription. But uh, uh, all we can say, all that this paper suggested that this conversation should be happening with real data and not with perceived data and not with uh, ideological scream, but reality. And unfortunately, as you said, with examples in the U.S., that's happening in other countries as well. I mean, there's one one example that I always make that is even in the most uh, in, the, in the in the best newspapers in Italy, uh, um, I, when there is a crime committed, now it is perfectly normal, acceptable to say uh, an immigrant from country X has committed has committed this crime. Uh, now, this immigrant may be actually be second generation and an Italian citizen, but it's a, you know, the, the, the news reads some guy from, say, Morocco has killed an Italian woman. And you can imagine what that kind of reaction generates. Uh, and, and there is um, a lot of it um, going on. And, uh, and uh, that, that's indeed what causes many of the misperception. And of course, those people who are anti-immigration for whatever reason, even for perfectly reasonable and honest and intellectually defensible reason, they have, a lot, they have no interest in correcting these biases. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, I, I'm very open and, and upfront about the fact that I think immigration is generally a good, has been a good thing for America and continues to be a good thing for most Americans. And I say that out of compassion for people who live in places that are poor, who have come here, and also their impact mostly overwhelmingly positive on on American life culturally, uh, but also just in the fact that that there are opportunities to work here to do things at lower wages than Americans would be happy to do them at. That that's hard on some Americans. Uh, it's good for a lot of Americans, and it, the money that is saved by paying less free is freed up to do other things that helps create opportunities for Americans of who have skills like immigrants. So it's very unclear. Uh, and obviously it's a huge debate about whether who the winners and losers from, from an open, more open border policy. But I'm, I'm in generally for a whole bunch of reasons, selfish and non-selfish interested in, in having open borders, but they should be more open than they are now. I tend to be sympathetic that they should be more open. How open is is an interesting question. I think we should get rid of uh, the welfare state for immigrants at least right away. I think we should discourage people coming here to be beneficiaries of the welfare state. But I don't think that's a big problem right now. But at least that's my perception. Having said all that, so I'm just laying my cards on the table. I think it's the case, and this is what I want to close on and hear your reaction it's the case that American culture generally has been something of a melting pot. We can debate how well it works, how well people assimilate in 2018 versus 1940 or 1880, and those are relevant questions. But in general, America's identity has always been that we are open to people who aren't just like us because there's no such thing as just like us. We are a nation of immigrants. Um, and, and most Americans, of course, it depends on the time of history. Most Americans are pretty positive about that in general. And so they're more, um, in recent years, not so much. But in general, America, I think, is fairly open to immigration. Certainly, we've taken a lot more immigrants than, than most other countries. Then you go to a place like Italy, where you're from originally. Oh, so the, the point I wanted to finish with there on the American side is, so somebody who's been here for two generations is not a Mexican-American. They're an American. That's what we call them. And, and you're suggesting that in Italy, and I suspect here as well, there's, there's an, intent, an, an increasing and somewhat disturbing, to me, identification of people with where they came from originally, not with where they were born, even if they've been here for two or three generations. And that I find scary, not so healthy uh, for, for America, and certainly not healthy, healthy for Italy. But having said that, uh, I, my impression is that Europe is much – doesn't see itself as, a, as an assimilation, melting pot kind of place like America does. 
There's a very strong Italian culture, a very strong French culture, a very strong British culture, very strong German culture. And there's a deep concern that people who come from different places don't share that. And they don't come to share it, I think, is the concern, right? And so, you know, when I think of, I mentioned this before, when I think of many small towns in Italy, uh, they're a little bit like museums. They're, they're very, they're beautifully preserved and, and it's great for tourism. It's not so good if you're a, uh, an immigrant hoping to find opportunity in that place. It may be, but it, many Italians, I assume, like it that way. They don't want the skyline of Florence to be changed. They love it the way it is. And someone who comes from somewhere else who wasn't raised to love it is not going to love it the way they do, who were, have lived there for six generations or 20 generations. So I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, Alberto. I'm sorry. Uh, but I'd like your reaction to that in terms of just the cultural issues of, of identity and how you f- – I'm curious what your personal feeling is as someone who is identifiably not born in America because of your accent. You have a, a name that is not like John Smith. You have Alberto Alessina. It's a beautiful name to me, but it's different. So I'm curious. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, you are not rambling at all. I think you put – you really summarized – extremely well what the what the issues are and let me before give you an answer let let me re-summarize in a slightly different way the u.s is a country of, of immigrant it, it was born as a country of immigrant and it went through pain and suffering but they developed a system which is reasonably welcoming for uh, immigrants and they developed a melting pot which is more or less working Europe does not have that history, and they are not uh, used to wave of immigration, and they face all the issues that you are uh, mentioning. Not only that, they uh, they do not have even a culture or a research or uh, thinking about immigration. I mean, if you in the U.S., I don't know how many thousand and thousand and thousand of pages have been written by on uh, integration, immigration, affirmative action. Uh, uh, diversity, multiculturalism. Diversity, multiculturalism. I mean, I, I, can, tolerance. I, could, probably, I could probably fill, uh, my, uh, you know, three libraries. Find, you know, if you find 10 books uh, in, in written about uh, these in Europe, you, you, you'd be lucky. So uh, Europeans are ages behind Americans in dealing with that one. Second, they are they are giving a, a really despicable spectacle or fighting within each other about who can save uh, both of uh, dying uh, poor North African, which is really despicable. And um, but but and those, this is all fine. But yes, you actually have a point that. Since uh, European countries have not been melting pot historically, now how do immigrants will uh, integrate in culture which are last much more melting pot, but just little pots that don't melt, uh, like Italy or France or Portugal or, or Greece? Um, now uh, to go to the little cities in, in, you know, even smaller than Florida, but to do in those wonderful uh, small town in, in Italy, probably they, they don't see yet a lot of immigrants. They're mostly in big cities, but still what you raise is a very, very critical issues. Do I have answers? No, but the only answer I have, which is given in this paper, that we need to start talking about this, but with the right with reality in front of us and not with stereotypes and wrong perceptions. I look forward to your um, ongoing work in the area. And and I do think it's um, it's incredibly important to get the facts right. And you know, one of the issues that we talk about on Econ Talk sometimes is, or I talk about, is, is how hard it is to measure things, and particularly causation in a multivariate system and the challenge of econometric analysis uh what we've been talking about today are facts and i always argue that facts are important that evidence matters just a question of what's reliable evidence versus what is 
looks like science versus what what is science. And of course, in this paper, you've made lots of decisions and there are things you had to measure in certain ways. So it's not like it's you're measuring the length of a of a stick with a ruler. But most of what we are talking about today is just simply what is not anything about not that much interpretation. There's not that much. Uh, statistical analysis. There was some in the paper, by the way. We didn't talk about it. But I thought what was important about this paper is it just is a window into how we look at the world and uh, the accuracy of it and its implications for uh, how we vote and how we treat each other and how we treat uh, each other when we're not the same. We come from different places, and it strikes me as extremely important work, so I'm very grateful for it. Thank you, Russ. It's been a pleasure as always, and I hope we can do it again. I guess today has been Alberto Alessina. We'll put a link to his paper uh, uh, with his co-authors online so that you can look at it yourself. Alberto, thanks for being part of EconTalk. Thank you very much, Russ. It was great. This is EconTalk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. For more EconTalk, go to econtalk.org, where you can also comment on today's podcast and find links and readings related to today's conversation. The sound engineer for EconTalk is Rich Goyette. I'm your host, Russ Roberts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Monday.